Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, Associate Editor of Middle Market Growth Magazine, and I'm here again with Deborah Cohen, the magazine's Editor-in-Chief. Deb, who'd you talk to for this week's podcast? Katie, I spoke with Joe Brusuelis. He's chief economist for RSM US, and he is a frequent uh, contributor to our podcast. He came in on December 8th to talk about his most recent Real Economy report, which um, takes a look at um, how the middle market is doing um, compared with uh, the broader economy. And we talked about the jobs report that was released on December 8th, as well as tax reform implications for the middle market. And we also uh, got into some interesting topical areas such as the surging value of cryptocurrency and whether or not it represents a bubble. And I should say that because of the timely nature of what a lot of Joe had to say, uh, we'll be publishing this conversation in two parts. So the second installment of the episode will come out in January. So do stay tuned for that. Joe always, you know, he spends a lot of time talking with RSM middle market clients and a lot of time in Washington. So he always has really valuable insight on things that are going on in the headlines and how those impact middle market businesses specifically. So I'm excited to, uh, to hear this interview with him. So with that, let's get into it. Here's Deb speaking with Joe Brusuelis. Uh, Joe Brusuelis, thanks for joining us on this Middle Market Growth Conversation. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's start with today. Uh, we saw the government report its 86 month of consecutive jobs growth this morning with um, an unemployment rate of 4.1% unchanged from October. You have warned about the tightening in the labor market. What are your current thoughts? Well, we have a very healthy labor market that's indeed tightening. That's the major takeaway from the November U.S. jobs report. I think that by the end of 2018, you're likely to see that unemployment rate sitting at 3.7%. And you're also likely to see a slowing in hiring to around 150,000 a month. Now, that won't be because the economy slowed down. It will actually be because there simply aren't enough available workers to fill openings. That could cause growth to slow in some states like California, where the the labor shortage is getting critical. But for the most part, it's just a sign of uh, late cycle acceleration in the overall economy, and that's before any tax cuts. So what kind of growth are you now forecasting for 2018? Okay, so the baseline right now... uh, is 2.5%, 150,000 a month growth in in labor, 4.1% on the unemployment rate, or excuse me, 3.7% on the unemployment rate, uh, 2% inflation next year. By the end of the year, uh, we expect to see four rate hikes next year. So that's five if you include the one I expect in, in December. The Fed's forecasting three. Okay. And I would think that the long end of the maturity spectrum is gonna be moving between 2.7% and 3% uh, second half of next year. Okay. You mentioned in your December issue of The Real Economy from RSM that holiday spending is suggesting that we're going to see the best sales in a decade. Is this mostly due to the continued shift to online sales versus brick and mortar? Okay, so the the structural shift is been ongoing for several years. That has to do with the changing preferences and behavior of the emerging demographic majority who likes to buy things on mobile platforms. Okay. What's driving holiday sales is improvements in employment, 
rising wages and a noticeable wealth effect that's impacting spending in the upper uh, middle class and, and upper quintile of income earners. In the third quarter of 2017, household wealth increased by 1.7 trillion. That's, we've had five quarters of above 1.3 trillion increases in uh, household wealth. My estimation, that's resulted in about an extra three-tenths of a percent of growth through the middle of 2017. You know, we're probably going to close the year with three straight quarters of 3% growth. So you're saying that most of the spending is very um, specific to middle class, upper middle class upper, Yeah, the, it's what we're talking about are the, the preferences and the habits of the upper two quintile of income earners. Okay. Really, that 40% who's responsible for 60% of spending, when they start feeling very comfortable, right? Rising equity prices, rising home prices, they're gonna spend. And you can see that in the data, right? It's gonna be skewed towards upper end luxury type goods and experiences, right? You're gonna see outlays on accommodations and arts and entertainment just soar in the fourth quarter of the year. Let me say something here. I outlined the baseline forecast. If we get the tax cuts, you're going to see growth well above 3%. There are going to be some quarters where it's going to be above 4%, right? Household spending is going to soar, be up 3.5%, and you're going to get a nice build-out in outlays on software, equipment, and intellectual capital, CapEx, right? You know, in the third quarter, we saw an increase of 10.6% in outlays on equipment. This economy has already shifted into third gear pre-tax cut, right? Now... That doesn't mean we're going to see a permanent and sustained increase in growth mm -hmm. above 3% or an increase in productivity. This is a tax cut. This isn't a tax reform. But after spending a lot of time in Washington this year, let me tell you, the Congress is going to front load these tax cuts. And you're going to see some real stimulative activity in 2018 and 2019 before we fade back to the long-term 2% trend. Okay, so let's shift into the current tax package. Um, what, are the, what are you looking at as the pros and what are the sticking points? Obviously, we still have to get this thing um, finalized. Well, and they're, they're, they're just starting the discussions in conference. I'm expecting to see a uh, corporate tax of around 22% which is roughly equal tax treatment with subchapter S is the pass-through entities, which is going to probably be around 23%. The uh, emphasis is obviously on reducing corporate taxes in an, attempt to, in an attempt to stimulate CapEx, increase productivity, and hopefully lift the long-term growth rate. Now, I don't think that this particular package is well-targeted towards that. Mm -hmm. What you're likely to see is simply a cut of about $5 trillion dollars that's directed at businesses and upper income individuals, and a tax increase on three and a half of about three and a half trillion on other individuals. So both parties are very redistributive. The Republicans are just this, at this point want to redistribute it towards the corporate sector, and of course the middle market, and small and medium enterprises are, are going to do quite well. Were you looking this. for that 23% um, from the prior 17, or were you hoping for more on the, on the past well, we'd like, entities? We'd like, be, we'd like more, obviously. Um, but compared to the status quo in terms of uh, the middle market, this is a much, much needed improvement. And why is that? I mean, what, what is it about this particular 
uh, stipulation in the package um, is so relevant to the middle market? How many businesses out there that qualify as pass-through entities are also middle market companies? You're going to see a pretty you're going to see a tremendous increase in gross revenues that these privately held companies are going to reinvest in the business, right? If you're a big Fortune 1000 firm, you're operating in a different structure. Your incentives are to make sure your equity price is improving, right? They get those tax cuts. They're likely to buy back stocks and increase dividends. Right. I'm not expecting a big increase or a boost in, in, in CapEx from the big global entities that are publicly held. Mm -hmm. However, small and medium enterprises, specifically middle market firms, that money's going to be reinvested back in those businesses. That, that is going to help. Right? So we're going to see CapEx yeah. go up even more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, over the next, over in 2018, 2019, for sure. Um, that's what's really uh, important. Second, I think the expensing is critical, right? I mean, mm -hmm. per truthfully, I'd like to, you know, any, any investment in capital expenditures should be right offable. It should be immediate and permanent. We didn't get there. I mean, if you're going to charge small and medium enterprises a higher tax rate, you ought to allow them to just write that off, right? You're talking if you about were, immediate yeah, depreciation. Immediate of and permanent, right? Okay. If you were really interested in lifting uh, the long-term living standards of the country and improving productivity, which increases overall social welfare, that's what you'd be doing, right? And I know... I can hear it in your listener's voice, right? I can just hear it already. <laughs> well, productivity really doesn't mean anything today. Well, that's true, it doesn't. But in the long term, it's absolutely everything, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so that's the difference, right? And then this is a tax cut. This isn't tax reform. Tax reform is broadening the base, bringing down rates on the margin in a revenue-neutral fashion, right? That's not what this is. This is just a tax cut. It's a late cycle tax cut. It's ne we've never really seen this size of a tax cut this late in a business cycle. Mm -hmm. The size of it is more appropriate to what you'd see in a recession. Interesting, because so we're not in a recession. No, right? we're not even close. And uh, you started to ask what's the good and what's the bad. Yeah. Okay, the bad is, what is this going to cost? What's, if you yeah. score it dynamically, just looking at growth, m maybe you get about 15, recoup 15%. If we get lucky, 20. If we really do well and we get lucky, we recoup, we recoup 30. So that you're talking $750 billion to $1 trillion, uh, adding to the debt over the next 10 years. Which is, your forecast is, is, is more yeah, than, let me, than Yeah, let me what, get to that yeah. and why that is. Okay, the statutory limit agreed upon in Congress is $1.5 So whatever comes out of conference is going to be at or below that using a static or a static analysis. Now, if you really want to get dynamic, you not only have to include the revenues you're going to recoup through growth, but you also have to include where the term structure is going in terms of higher interest rates, What's that's going to cost. And then, of course, you know, the, the Trump administration has been very transparent about this. Hmm. Well, we're going to score this as a, a lot of this is temporary, but with a wink and a nod, we're really, guys, it's going to be permanent. So what you really have is about three quarters of a trillion dollar fudge factor and what the cost of this is going to be. Let's assume interest rates are going to be well above where they're at now, and we're going to make all this permanent. Well, you're looking at a cost of, you know, 
2 to $2.2 dollars in terms of additional increases right. on the national debt over the next couple or the next 10 years. So you take a step back, right? And you start thinking, okay, right now the run rate on the annual operating deficits are around 670 billion. Let's throw another 75 billion on that. We'll just round up and we'll call it three quarters of a trillion dollars. And then because we're gonna have to agree to lift the debt ceiling and the budget, let's throw another 50 billion, we'll just be conservative. Okay. You're at $800 billion. Right? Staggering number. And then you throw 150 yeah. billion if we're just going to go along the, the statutory limit. Well, you're up to 950 billion. Oh, and hey, by the way, we spent 202.6 billion already this year so on cleanup in the Gulf. You're over right? this, you're over And that's the, off books. Yeah. Okay, you're already at, <laughs> above 1 trillion in annual mm -hmm. operating deficits, right? So if you're going to be serious about this, you're a middle market person, you're going to look at this and think, I'm going to be paying much higher rates. For borrowing, mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. going to want to get my balance sheet in order before this happens, right? That maybe tends to curb the growth estimates a little bit, which is why I'm fairly conservative on, hey, look, we're going to get some growth out of this, but it's only going to be between two tenths and six tenths of a percent over a period of 10 years. It's almost all going to be front loaded and it will start to fade in 2020. Wow. And you're going to see uh, tax rates begin or tax revenue or tax increases around 2023 to 2027. You're also going to get some asymmetrical impact on housing. And of course, because you're going to eliminate salt, you're going to see some municipals who are vulnerable to that, as well as some migration amongst the upper quintile of income earners. In New York, we like we have a good joke. We're calling this not the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. We're calling this Everyone's Moving to Austin, Texas Act, right? <laughs> okay. So you're going to see some of that. Um, so that's the good, and then that's the not so good. Mm -hmm. Let's shift um, to the, mar the stock market for a few minutes. Um, we've been seeing um, record gains. Um, when do you think we're going to hit the end of this run, and um, do you think we are in line for a big correction? Okay, a couple things. The, um, the economy shifted into third gear now. We're, we're, we're growing at a faster pace, and earnings have improved. You know, we had an earnings recession from middle of 2015 to middle of 2016. You know, our middle market business index, our guys started to bounce on earnings the first portion of 2015. Mm -hmm. I think when you take a look at the real economy out there, it's doing quite well. There is a reason why equities have appreciated that are linked to fundamentals. That's very encouraging. Um, because we're going to get this tax cut, it looks like, it's going to reaffirm expectations that have driven up, up equity prices in some industries, not all. So I think we're just about past the risk of a sell-off due to lack of policy success. Um, the risks going forward change. And we'll, investors are going to be looking much closely at the tradable sector and who's got exposure where. Um, moreover, I think if, you know, my friend uh, over, some of my friends at Bloomberg Intelligence tell me that uh, when you look at earnings, if you pass a tax cut the type they're talking about, forward earnings should increase uh, 7%. So not only value, it affirms current valuations, it implies an improvement. So you could see that stock market continue to move in an upward fashion. There are different metrics you can use, and two of the, of the major ones suggest modest overvaluation currently. 
we get another quarter of 3% plus growth and then you see maybe a 4 or 5% quarter, all of a sudden those metrics are going to say, hey, nope, it's not modestly overvalued anymore. It's just about valued where it should mm. be, right? You know, if we're seeing such great earnings from public in the public space, are we going to um, see more, um, you know, cash on balance sheets and more strategic M&A? So, great question. We noticed since late October a pretty healthy acceleration in M&A activity amongst our client base. Mm. This is just us talking to our clients and noticing what's happening. It's not shown up in the official data yet. It will. These things always lag three to six months, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about improved activity, acceleration in pace, the likelihood that the Fed's going to increase rates, and they're telegraphing it. They're telling you four between today, December 8th, and the end of next year, and I'm one of the guys who thinks... No, it's going to be five. Okay, that changes the, the balance of power in terms of M&A. It shifts from sellers to buyers, right? Because the higher short-term rate is, you're going to force some people to choke up some fairly valued uh, firms, and then, then you're ripe for consideration. Um, let me say this. When we publish our middle market business index on December 19th, take a look at some of our questions and the reactions, especially in terms of expectations on M&A. Yeah, buying and selling. Yeah, and, or, or different combinations. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very, very interesting. <laughs> okay, we are looking yeah. forward to that. One thing I wanted to ask you about, man, you, you take a look at the uh, Bitcoin valuation the last couple of days <laughs> and the proliferation of um, discussion over cryptocurrency. I mean, Bitcoin was trading this week at a record high of, of over $17,000 per share. What is your take on this and, and how is it going to tie into transactions? I okay, mean, so let me just put this out there. We have no exposure in this market, right? And we're going to talk about this in a historical fashion because okay. I don't want to give the impression that we have solutions to okay. the forward look. Yeah. Okay, so yesterday between... Wednesday and Thursday this week, at one point, Bitcoin <laughs> increased by 40% in 40 hours. Okay, so I think it's safe to say that we're in the manic phase of the parabolic increase in the value <laughs> okay. of a cryptocurrency. Yeah. I've got some real reservations about this in terms of the actual supply of this, the measurement of the supply. The fact that many of these cryptocurrencies, I mean, are the, the portfolios associated with them seem to be black boxes that could be hacked, right? I think when we talk about this, we need to separate out cryptocurrencies from blockchain. Yeah, okay. Okay, I think that's very important. You know, while I've always thought there's a bit of electronic Dutch tulips, is what I, how I like to refer to Bitcoin, there's a small portion of it, though, that I thought was appropriate given the evolution of the global economy and the way in which we're digitizing it and the risks around some countries. If you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, well, we need to proceed slowly. 
it needs to be heavily regulated. But we also need to be cognizant of the fact that the idea of Bitcoin provides an opportunity for people who live in opaque financial and governing systems. It provides a, a direct platform where individuals can preserve a store of wealth. If you live in a country like Zimbabwe mm. or Venezuela, anywhere where there's instability, yeah, or they have, you know, or you you, yeah. you live in a country that's a serial defaulter, right, and regularly results to to default or debasement of the currency to work their way yeah. out of problems. Yeah. yeah, that's this isn't the worst idea, okay. right? Right. But what's going on now is different. And I've got some real concerns about the futures markets that are going to be set up starting next week. My, my gut tells me we could see some real gut, but serious volatility in this. And, and some, of this, some of this may end in tears at one point. Um, Do you think the SEC is um, doing, playing enough of a role? Um, no. In, okay. I uh, tend to agree with the large five systemic banks that are against this. They think it's premature. So do I. You know, when you talk to Bitcoin investors, it's a little bit like a Martian talking to a fungo bat, right? <laughs> They're talking past one another in different languages on different planes, mm. right? Mm. You get the sense that the discourse around Bitcoin is fascinating. There was this huge Twitter fight on the idea that in, bit, in cryptocurrencies, it's mathematically impossible to have a bubble. Okay, wait a second. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just old enough to remember the same claims made about the dot-com, mm -hmm. housing, and for those of you who are really into financial markets, the discussion around a, about dark matter in the early aughts. This yeah. is all yeah. too familiar to me. Black Friday. Yeah, all of those ended. <laughs> yeah, all of those ended in tears, right? Yes. Yeah. So, this is something we want to be careful when we're talking about, and I believe it's a, it's press, it's it's necessary to talk about the risks around this. Um, they're not going to go away, and you know the central banks are looking into starting their own yeah. cryptocurrencies. Now, once that happens, that that would be a significant challenge to the existing two, essentially Ethereum and, and, and uh, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I have a feeling, a queasy feeling, that this won't be the last time we're talking about this. But uh, this is a market that I'm interested in, but I'm not going to participate in. And anybody who does participate in should really be talking to professionals who know what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. let me tell you, I wrote a book on the Forex markets. Yeah, we sold a lot of copies. I still get uh, royalties every once in a while. The Forex market's the most dangerous market in all of all asset classes. And the idea that we're integrating cryptocurrencies in the, currency, in the Forex market, it just causes me to sort of take a step back and say, yep, I'm going to be an observer on this one, not a participant. One of the books I'm reading is an old book that I have in my library, and it's called Manias, Panics, and Crashes, A History of Financial Crises by Charles P. Kindleberger. You might want to read the, the portion of the book on Dutch tulips, which looks a lot like Bitcoin. Great. Well, um, that is a lot to think about. Joe Brusuelos, thanks for joining us on a Middle Market Growth Conversation, and we'll catch up on these issues next time you come through town. Happy holidays and Happy New Year, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the show in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate us and leave a review to help other listeners find out about the podcast. After you've rated the show, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and trends in middle market M&A.